0: John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the latest from Alex Gardner, his adaptation of the unfilmable novel Annihilation, plus the dark comedy Game Night, and the latest young adult romance, uh, somewhat sci-fi, whatever, uh, every day. Let's get started. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying It's making something new. I'm almost a little worried for Alex Gardner at this point. He came out the gate swinging with uh, Ex Machina a couple years ago, I think 2015. And a lot of times you're, you know, there's a reason they referred, you know, they refer to directors having a sophomore slump. I recently mentioned it with um uh the guy behind Roman J Israel Esquire uh Nightcrawler that guy uh the the writer director of that so like Nightcrawler Nightcrawler was great Roman J Israel Esquire was kind of hit or miss whereas so there's you know when you come out with something really big your follow-up has a lot to live up to now unfortunately Alex Gardner uh <laughs> Has a lot to live up to again because he followed up Ex Machina, a really tight sci-fi thriller about, you know, where a, a, an android of sorts, you know, a, a, cyber, a cybernetic intelligence, you know, in the guise of a beautiful woman, you know, kind of plays with the minds of both her creator and the guy hired to give her the Turing test. Which is to determine whether or not she is capable of artificial intelligence. And so we followed that up by adapting a quote-unquote unfilmable novel called Annihilation. Which, let me pull up the premise for the book real quick. Apparently it's part of a trilogy. The Southern Reach Trilogy. Okay, which is... Yeah, they talk about that in the movie. Um... Reads as if Verne or Wellsian adventures exploring a mysterious island had warped through a Kafka-esque nightmare world. That's a la Kim Stanley Robinson, and uh, the basic premise is a, a a weird anomaly has started occurring in the United in an area of the United States, and our our main character, our protagonist, is um what's her name? Where's the doesn't list Amazon doesn't list her name let me go to the IMDB but uh our lead actress is uh, Natalie Portman but we've also got Jennifer Jason Leigh Tessa Thompson who was just in Thor Ragnarok um, Oscar Isaac returning uh, so this is his second uh, Alex Gardner movie and we've also got Gina Rodriguez from don't recognize her off the top of my head Apparently she was in Deepwater Horizon. Okay, she's Jane the Virgin. That's that's uh, what she's best known for. And she is unrecognizable here. Oh, she's going to be playing Carmen San Diego. Awesome. I wonder what that's going to be about. I think it's a narrative series. Like the animated series, not like the game show series. Um, and then we've also got Tuva Novotny. I believe is how you pronounce her name. Um, and she is best known for Eat, Pray, Love... DAG4 and something called The Invisible with, uh, okay, that's, it's a Swedish thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, Tupac Novotny is, uh, our, our, the, the last one and probably the least recognizable. Cause, like, you've, re- you, if, if you haven't heard of them, you've at least seen Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez. I don't think anyone outside of uh Scandinavia maybe has heard of or seen Tuva Novotny, but she's good in this uh The basic premise is um Natalie portman's character lena it um is dealing with the loss of her husband, supposedly, and it turn and and through a series of events that I don't really want to give away. You know, I don't want to go too much into spoiler town for that one, but uh, she eventually does learn about where he what what his last mission was, and uh, and uh, what happened to him uh, through Jennifer Jason Lee as a, as Doctor Ventress, who is a psych, a psychologist working at a private military base set against the Southern Reach. Uh, outside of which is uh what they call the uh border between the this weird anomaly going on going on called the shimmer and um the rest of, and the rest of reality and after you know they've sent series of um, you know military personnel into the shimmer to try and figure out what exactly is going on there and you know not to mention like animals drones all kinds of you know, means of reconnaissance and nothing's come back. And so Natalie Portman's character, uh being a microbiologist specializing in uh cellular biology, uh teams up with Tessa Thompson, who is a physicist, I believe. Um uh named uh Tessa is Josie Raddick. Uh Jennifer Jason Lee leads the expedition. Uh Gina is... Gina Rodriguez plays Anya Thorningsen, who is an EMT. I believe I don't know if, what her other special specialty is uh, anthropologist, surveyor, psychologist, the facto leader, and our narrator, a biologist. Uh, so yeah, um, I guess they changed it a little bit. Maybe they did call Tessa Thompson's character an, anthropo- an anthropologist. Uh, here, let me pull up the wiki see if that does a better job telling me who do, whose job is what now it's <laughs> sadly it's not all stick it in there it's all it all seems to um it all kind of like like it, like it, it, they never focused too much on their on their career stuff just that they were yeah so um Iah is a paramedic an EMT specializing in medicine and um uh Jersey raddick is a physicist and then uh tuva novotny's character Cass shepherd is a surveyor and a geologist and so the five of them with lena uh all head into the shimmer in order to figure out what you know what you know what's been missing why aren't these messages coming back and we eventually begin to learn more about their psychological state, their backstory, and what exactly brought them into this quote-unquote suicide machine. And as that's going on, we also get to see the weird, you know, weird unnatural sort of shifts in biology that are going on with within the Shimmer. And it... And that's mostly told in in, a, in like a flashback narrative as Lena is being debriefed by Benedict Wong, who is a scientist, who's one of the scientists studying the Shimmer, but we don't really get... I don't know if he's there before they go in, but he's the one interviewing her once when, when she comes out. Right. And it's him learning... Uh, and it's a, a him hearing her tell what ha- what all what happened, what all led up to her going into the Shimmer and then coming out of it. And I can understand why someone would call this unfilmable. I don't even know if uh, Gardner was able to capture just all of the intricacies of this narrative. Because, I mean, he's basically had to build a fantasy world of sorts from the ground up. And he does an amazing job with it. Like, all of the monsters featured in the. Not only the monsters, but just the. Just the bio. uh, uh, Just the bio design in this movie is phenomenal. Like, the idea. Like, there's a scene, a quick scene in the trailer, and it's just about as quick in the movie, of a sort of mirror deer, uh, which kind of looks like Saucebuck. Uh, Springform, the Pokemon It's basically a deer with plant, with plants for with, with tree branches For antlers And um, it's kind of There's like a mirror version of itself That stands alongside it and moves when it does It's got It's got all these weird sort of like Weird sort of Lichen Like almost uh, neon Colored lichen That grow out of stuff and you also get this and, and and being within the shimmer also you know it just dis, it disorients you, it takes away your you know your ability to keep track of time and place, and you can 't communicate with anything you 're kind of cut off, so you get a little bit of cabin fever, especially when you start to especially when the longer you 're in there you start to hallucinate and it's it 's a it 's a It's a bananas kind of narrative Uh, uh, And I can understand how You would think that it would be hard to adapt But I think Alex Gardner did probably the best anyone could do Like my only complaints are Some of the dialogue scenes feel kind of wooden I don't know Some of them And sometimes it works because that's intended The wooden stiffness is intended It's part of the sort of like ...what's really going on... ...narrative behind the... ...this phenomenon. And sometimes it's like... ...like, um... ...Lena trying to interact... ...uh, like, there's a sex scene in this movie... ...I'm not gonna give, like, too much away... ...but there's a sex scene involving Natalie Portman... ...and, and, uh... ...and somebody... ...and it feels really unnatural. Like, it feels almost like... two robots trying to reenact human lovemaking sort of and I I'm not sure if that's maybe because the book maybe the book is really Crichton-esque I I remember Crichton was very methodical and almost wrote like liter like like he wrote his novels almost like a scientific thesis I remember that's why I couldn't get through Jurassic Park was because it felt it didn't feel like I was reading a novel it felt like I was reading somebody's um you know it felt like I was reading somebody's thesis paper about genetics and you know nothing nothing against Crichton it's just that style of writing doesn't you know if it, if i have to sit, sit like if, if i feel like the, the you know the narrative and the writing style is putting me to sleep i'm not going to continue reading something and crichton's style is very much kind of it uh, feels very much like it should be narrated by Ben Stein uh that kind of voice and I don't know if this book is like that. Uh, I haven't heard of the book uh, by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, Apparently it's part of a trilogy. So hopefully this does well. Uh, It was only published back in 2014. And there's a whole bunch of... And so apparently there's a whole series set around this sort of... um, Um, metaphysical phenomenon and and I I, I Doug, I'm probably going to check I really want to check out this book now because the movie had me jazzed it's going to be one of the best of the year and it's only, it's only February and we've already had two of the best movies out this year Black Panther and this oh god 2018 has its work cut out for it because I don't know how you're gonna top, uh, yo. I don't know how you top these two. We come out the ground. We come out the gate running. Um, like I said, there's some issues with like dialogue delivery in some scenes, and uh, some people pointed out that you know, like some of the exposition feels a bit clunky at points. Like there's a whole like the scene, like there's a scene on of them on the river, and uh, Tuva Novotny's character Cash, Cass is giving like all of the actual backstory. But at the same time, I didn't have a problem with that so much. I felt it more like to, uh, Cass is kind of um, catching Lena up to date with everything, you know, what's going on, and kind of doing almost like a gossipy sort of small talk. And, like, that's the whole thing is that Cass and Lena start building a sort of friendship early on. Uh, and yeah, that's the other. And the other thing too is Jennifer Jason Leigh looks unrecognized She looks more like Laura Linney in this movie. She, I did not recognize her at all, and she is amazing in this movie. She holds her own against Natalie Portman uh, in, in this as sort of the uh, psychologist, almost like analyzing Lena as they're talking. Almost like they're in a session, but they're just sitting there talking. She's she's kind of like that. And you get to kind of also see inside her own head like what exactly is going on. And, uh yeah, like... Oh, God, that's right. She was in the... She was the chicken hateful egg. She's great in that, too. I never saw her as Lady Bird, though. I didn't see LBJ. And she was just in an Amityville movie. I mean... I mean, sometimes you just gotta take work where you can get it. But, um... Yeah, she was am- she was awesome in this. And I real I, I definitely recommend you go out and see this. Uh, you know, go support this movie. It deserves it. It is... It is definitely one of the best sci-fi movies to come out in a long time. I would put this up there with, like, a rival. In terms of qual- quality hard sci-fi. Uh... Yeah. Annihilation. Phenomenal. I'm going to have to go check out that book now. Okay. I have one idea. It's so crazy. It just might work. You're going to crash the car into the plane like Liam Neeson in Taken 3? He did that in Taken 3, huh? Uh, you missed it. <laughs> Thanks, Becky. This is instructions on how to remove a bullet. Wait. You didn't have rubbing alcohol, so I got you this lovely shard. Good idea. Way to pivot. What is helpful in country living? Oh, that's related. There's a corn chowder oh. recipe that looks really good. Oh. You love Sweet. corn chowder, I huh? huh? Yeah. Let's cheer Thank you out. Thank you. Most Februarys, game night would be the best we could do. This February, game night, game night has to sit on the shelf. Because this is the month of Black Panther and Annihilation. Uh, but Game Night is solid in its own right. I was excited based on the trailers because I like the... Do- I am all for dark um, comedy. Sort of like ma- comedy centering around really macabre top- topics. And so the idea of a movie that's, that's a murder mystery gone wrong... Uh, and the main characters are, like, oblivious to the the severity of the situation. That works. It's hilarious. And, yeah, the basic premise is, um, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams meet and, uh, fall in love at a bar trivia night. And, um, they start hosting regular game nights. And, uh, one and then one, and then one week... Jason Bateman's brother played by Kyle Chandler Who is a rich Well to do like um, Venture Capitalist style guy Decides he wants to host a And not a board game night But a full on murder Mystery game night so he wants to Wants to really Show off you know Show off being like extravagant And so During the course of the night It turns out Things aren't exactly what they seem, and it involves their creepy ex-friend slash, like, eh, like their friend's ex-husband who lives right next door, who's, like, played by Jesse Plemons, who you might recognize from... Let me pull him up. Jesse Plemons. uh, Oh, my God, the poor guy was in Battleship. Uh, but he was in uh, Black Mass, Observe and Report, The Master. He's going to be in an, ad- an adaptation of The Bell Jar. Neat. Wait, what's the Irishman? Mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. Huh. Cool stuff. Um, he was also just in The Post. He was one of the lawyers for the Washington Post towards the end. He didn't. Co- he didn't come in towards the end. He's also in Hostels just recently. So he's been on a roll. Um, American Maid. He was uh the sheriff of the small town, I think. Uh oh my god, he played Charles Ponzi on Drunk History. Um he was on he was Ed Blumquist on uh Fargo, the T V series. And what else? He was Todd on Breaking Bad for a short period. So you'll reckon you would recognize the guy. He kind of lo- he kind of looks creepy and they really play that up here. I think they give him some extra like pop marks or something. And um he is just like he is uh, he is just he st- like people say it all the time, they're right. He steals every scene he's in. He is just creepy as hell in this movie and it's awesome. And Uh, Yeah, and then, of course, you've got Kyle Chandler working great again. Uh, Jason Bateman and Marichia McAdams have some of the best on-screen chemistry we've seen in a long while. Because a lot of these comedies, like Amy Poehler and Will Ferrell don't really have that much chemistry. They're just, like, being wacky. Whereas I feel Rachel McAdams and and Jason Bateman just like hanging out on set. And you could kind of see that in the performance. They have really great rapport. Going off each other, they kind of act like a, if not a couple, then like two friends who really know each other well. Um, uh, you've also got uh, what's his name from New Girl, uh, Lamorne Morris from New Girl, and um, you also got a couple appearances from 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 uh, like Chelsea Peretti play, does a little does a little cameo. Danny Houston's in there for a hot second. But, um, yeah, I really wanted to mention the new faces for me. Uh, Sharon Horgan plays uh, the date of one of their game night participants. She is best known for pulling. And the Amazon original series, Catastrophe, Uh, I don't recognize her. Oh, she's a Courtney Portnoy on Bojack Horseman and and Minerva Bot, Minerva and Minerva Bot on Adventure Time. So she may be more of a voice actress, but I don't, I don't really recognize her. If you recognized her, I know she's uh, Irish, but so I don't, is she British or Irish? It says she's born in London, but I don't know, but she plays an Irish character And I don't know if that's just her putting on an accent or what. But she's great in this as sort of like a comic foil to one of the players, Billy Magnuson. Who is pretty much just like the token idiot. He's like a bro dude. He was one of the... He was the other prince besides um, Chris... Chris Evans... Not Evans. um, Chris Pine. We've had this talk. Chris Pine did that whole opening. Also, uh uh, Bailey Magnuson was in Bridge of Spies, as was Jesse Plemons. So, those guys got back to Those guys, uh, have a nice little reunion. But, um, he was also in, uh, Ingrid Goes West and The Big Short. But, yeah, you'd probably, honestly, I probably recognize him more as the other prince from Into the Woods. The, the not Chris Pine prince. And he was, he was good in that, too. Uh, he, I didn't recognize him here because I haven't see, seen him in a whole lot. Uh, but he is great as sort of this idiot character. But he's never he's he's an idiot in that he's got like this weird. You don't quite understand where where he is in reality. It's like wait, what 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 the hell is wrong with you? Are you really that stupid? That kind of, um, that you know that kind of uh, stupidity. And he plays it off really comedically. He never gets too annoying. Uh, we've also got Kylie Bunbury uh, from Under the Dome, uh, The The Sitter, uh, the Jonah Hill movie. Uh, Twisted. Oh, God. She was in that prom movie that Disney made. Um, something called Pitch and the Tut miniseries. There's a picture of her on IMDb in in like a in like a motion capture suit. Uh okay, pitches about um a base, about baseball. And apparently she was the lead in it. So, if you saw that, cool. Um I didn't recognize it. But uh she's she she plays uh Morris' Morris's uh wife, I think. And they have great comedic timing like even the people... Like, all the people besides Bateman and McAdams are real standouts. They all hold their own, and they're great on their own, and they're great all together as well. There... This really is a great ensemble cast. They're, like... Really, the biggest problem with it is it, it's it third act kind of, like, has no idea how to end. Like, it doesn't know quite what to do with itself once all the stuff is revealed. And it kind of, like... Kind of goes like... Uh, wobbles a bit. Uh, but doesn't go fully off the rails. But it's still a lot of fun. Like, I would see this cast in something else. Uh, of, of the same style. Um, the writers... Di- writer and direct... the di- There are two directors. John Francis Daly. And Jonathan Goldstein. Uh, apparently John... Oh, God. Oh, no. He's a actor for that. Uh, director. His, what is, oh, no. He's tied to the... He's tied to the flashpoint movie because d- the d c e u is so bad that they have to already reboot it with flashpoint but apparently he was also he also did the vacation reboot uh, yeah this is a nice this is a much better follow up um his his uh co-director oh no they're also going to do they're already doing a sequel to that well no a futuristic approach where tourism within our solar system become routine turns into life or death struggle to return to Earth. Okay, so it's not, it's called the Vacation it's called Vacation Guide to the Solar System. So I thought, oh my god, are they doing another vacation movie? That movie sucked. So no, it's it's not related in the least. Oh my god, they're tasked with ROM and the Mask M A S K Mobile Armored Strike Command series. Oh no, 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 no. But um Uh, Goldstein wrote on Horrible Bosses Which is probably where he and Bateman knew each other And was also one of the writers For Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 And Spider-Man Homecoming But him and um, Him and the other John Francis Daly uh, Their last movie was Vacation Which was one of my least favorite To come out that year, 2015 So they've really improved um, although they were directors and writers, uh, the writer here is no relation. He is Mark Perez. Uh, the, the writer here is Mark Perez, who was la- who um, whose last major motion picture was Accepted, the college comedy uh, with Justin Long and Lewis Black. He also did Herbie Fully Loaded and The Country Bears. So, the, given the three main people involved in the back in the making of. The two directors and the writer. The writer wrote The Country Bears and Herbie Fully Loaded. The directors did the Vacation reboot, which sucked. And the only time one of them was any good was as a... It was as one of the writers for these other much better movies. Um, And so, like, to come back from that and do, like, this really smart, funny, uh, dark comedy is really you know it shows a lot of big improvement on their part. It shows a vast improvement and I'm interested to see how they follow this up. Um Perez doesn't seem to have anything else lined up uh Daly and Goldstein seem to be attached to stuff but there's there's no way that all of that is going to go through. They who knows what's going to happen by this point. They're so far into they're so soon into pre-production who knows what could happen by the time we get to the actual by the time they see actual release if they see actual release um yeah game night was fun uh if you get the chance check it out um it's you know if you're especially if you're into darker comedies like i am it's right up your alley you know (laughs) maybe have a group together have your own game night night or something i don't know wait stop who even was that I'm, I'm forcing Alexander out of his own life, and it's wrong. What are you saying? Think about what happens if you and I stay together. We can make it work. I want to believe that. What, about, about what will happen to your life if I'm the person in the world that you're closest to? What about us? What about us? You know, I thought you'd left, left. I'd never leave. Other than every day. What about, I kind of feel bad for this movie because... It came out a week after Black Panther and the other two movies the weekend it came out were Annihilation, which is right up there next to Black Panther as best of the 2018 material and Game Night, which is just a fun and enjoyable movie and here you've got teenage angst and romance in the guise of like, body swapping. It's It's really weird And yeah the premise here is An entity That calls himself A Himself? He identifies as male It seems And the entity Enters the body Of a boy named Justin And in doing so meets Justin's girlfriend Rhiannon Uh R-H-I-A N-N-O-N Like you know the Celtic name Um And over the course of the next couple of weeks... A, whenever... Because that's the whole thing. The conceit is this entity, whatever it is... um, From birth would enter a new... His consciousness would enter a new body of the same age... uh, Every single day. So it's basically Quantum Leap. If instead of actually doing something... It was just you spend 24 hours in someone else's body. And so A after spending time in Justin's body falls madly in love with Rhiannon and over the course of the next month couple of months tries to tries to date her which goes against everything the guy stood for that he set up it's like I try not to ruin any of these kids lives and then I met you cause you're so freaking special You're so special Generic female protagonist I just had to give up All of my Morals and values When it came to my condition In order to be with you And that's the problem Is that We're not talking about like A really soup Like um Give us a chick from Here let me get uh Every day's IMDb up. I wanted to look up a couple of things, like Lily James. Lily James is cute enough that I could be like, "Oh yeah, I want to be with her." Uh, there's a who's the girl in um, uh, the Jumanji uh, reboot sequel, rebootquel, whatever you want to call it. Um, the Instagram chick in the uh, Bethany Madison Iceman. Madison Iceman, who was also in something called Still the King on a comedy on CMT. As well as things called Henry Danger and Laid in America. Oh, wait. Was she in the Goosebumps movie? She's in the sequel uh, where they're doing Horrorland. Let me see. 2014. 2014. Take it to the Haunted Mansion. Not sure what that is Miss Virginia Despair Sessions Or was it 2016 Tales from Halloween Tales of Halloween Something called Ghost Squad The Real O'Neills I Know Where Lizzie Is Marriage of Lies And Where the Films Okay so no She's just t- tied into The sequel Something called There's a short Called Old McDonald That she's tied to From last year Whatever that is Um Yeah You would, you would recognize her As Bethany High school Bethany In the Jumanji Sequel and sh- her, I could get that. I could get like, oh my god, you're super cute. I, w- I would totally give up my morals to be just to be around you. Uh, but the girl in, not you know, but not to be too judgmental, but the girl playing Rhiannon in here, Re- Rhiannon, 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 uh, Anger, en- Enjury Rice, uh, how do you pronounce that? Wait, what was she in Spider-Man Homecoming? Betty. Betty. I don't remember a Betty. Huh. She was also Holly March in The Nice Guys. I think that was the daughter of the the one woman who... um, Oh, no, she was Ryan Gosling's daughter. Oh, wow. I did not recognize her at all. I guess I thought she was way younger in that movie. Um... Let's see. She was born in two thousand one. Uh, oh, she's Australian. Um, yeah, they must have dressed her down to make her look younger. Because I thought she was way younger than that. Apparently, she was. Only, she was like, wait, she was only like fifteen in that movie. So she's literally like sixteen right now, huh? How do you pronounce that name? It's A N G O U R I E. It looks like angry, angry, angry rice. Oh, no. She was in the Walking with Dinosaurs movie from 2013. Oh, honey, no. No, 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 no. Uh, pronunciation. How do you pronounce... Here, you know, how do you pronounce that name? Uh, How do I pronounce... Angry. Uh, pronunciation by somebody in Australia. It is angry, she's literally called angry rice she's angry rice. this is the official rice of the bulk. <laughs> um the angry rice um I don't want to make fun of her too much like I'm calling her like she's not as cute as these other girls and making fun of her name like I feel like a I feel like an ass now because I am an ass. no, it's not her fault, but she was um yeah like her and this eh, like. I don't get the appeal. Like she's just a normal girl. Like, what about her makes her stand out so much? Like i like I said, it's not like with um Matt with uh, Madison Iceman where it's like or like Lily Janes where it's like that that particular like look that appeal is like BAM like oh damn you're good looking, you know? Um or like a uh, what's another who's another like a model or an actress that's like a really good idea of like bam you're attractive uh margot Roby, uh kind of uh yeah margot Roby. margot Robbie is a good idea is a good uh as another one of of those kind of like those those women where you're like boom i'm attracted to you you're attractive um there's another one um karen gillen has a bit of that um yeah i mean there's just like Oh, um, oh, um, 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 Lupita Nyongo. That's another one. Uh, even, um, even, uh, what's her name? All the women in Black Panther, really. They're all like, bam, you're attractive. Uh, um, what's her name? from, Michonne from The Walking Dead. Denai Guerrero. Uh, Lajitia Wright, too. Like, all the women in Black Panther are like amazing. They're all amazing. Anyway, yeah, Black Panther. It's amazing. Uh, no, but like... I'm guessing... Like, it would make sense if Rhiannon, this high school girl, looked like banging, amazing, good-looking, attractive person, period. But like, this guy falls in love with this girl who is perfectly average. I get that's the point of like young adult romance is that like like the same problem was with... Um, Bella Swan and Twilight. She is like almost abnormally average. Where it's just like you're so average. Why, how do you even exist? That's what I get from Rhiannon in the movie. It's just like you're perfectly average. You do not elicit any response in my brain. Not about attractiveness, not attractiveness, not nor um like disgust. You're just like you exist. Congratulations. That's that's. I'm trying not, try not to talk too much about her looks... But like... Not, it's because it's not about looks either. even. Like... I mentioned the looks part because... Beth, like the girl who plays Bethany in Jumanji... That, I get that. She's attractive. She's a good-looking sort of popular girl. You know, she looks the part. Whereas Rihanna is so average both in... in ter- like in per- terms of personality... She basically just kind of exists... Like, she's not a member of... She do, we don't really even know, like, what her interests are. Like, is she a member of any clubs? Like, her friends are in clubs. Does she... Is she a member of any clubs? We don't know. We've only seen her in class and skipping school to be with A. That is all we see of her in this movie. She has no real personality. Like, why is she so amazing that you'd want to spend every day of your life with her when she just basically exists? I don't get the appeal. Like, here, where's the... Uh, who's the... Who plays her sister? Um, Debbie Ryan. The girl that got to play her sister is... old oh, Maria Bella was the mom. Huh. Did not recognize her at all. Uh, Debbie Ryan, who plays uh, the older sister. Oh, damn. She looks unrecognizable from... Apparently, uh, she was the lead actress in Jesse for Disney Channel. Um, she looks unrecognizable in the movie. She looks more like uh, what's her name from Workaholics. Uh, who's that actress? Workaholics, uh, Twenty Two Jump Street. What's her name? Jillian Bell. She kind of looks more like Jillian Bell in the movie. Like they they really dress her down because they kind of make her look like stoner punk chick. Uh, and she pulls like I to not like like the most of her stuff is glamour shots. Wait, what is she in Thor Ragnarok? Not Ragnarok, uh, the Dark World, or was she just in front of the premiere of Thor of the Dark World at, at an event for Thor of the Dark World? Okay, I don't know why that doesn't make much sense. Anyway, um, no, like the kid, like. Her sister has a personality. It's a stereotype. It's the stoner chick. And we don't really know much, uh, much else besides that. But, like, it's a personality, at least. Her friend plays tennis. That's a thing. That's a thing you do. Uh, but, like, Rihanna doesn't really do anything. She just exists and falls in love with this entity who hijacks people's bodies. At first, I didn't have too much issue with it. And then I listened to, um to the uh cinema snobs uh um the stone gremlin uh midnight uh premiere what is it uh midnight screening uh i forgot the name for for a hot second but uh, the midnight screening with sarah and both of them pointed out something that i never really thought of during i'm i just like eh whatever i take i take the premise at face value this movie is about a dude who hijacks people's bodies for twenty four hours and he does whatever he did. he does what he wants what he wants with your body and you barely remember it and like there's there are interesting points that they could do with that like one of the one of the kids he he um is in is a christian who thinks he was possessed by the devil there are people who there are other people who think they've been possessed too so you could have like a sort of um oh what's that character's name um where it's the kind of like the like the character who's out to get you. I'm gonna find you. Uh, the kind of like a gargamel sort of uh, character who's out to find you. Me- me- like or like um, what's his name in uh Splash? Uh, was it John Candy? It Wasn't John Candy? It was Rick Moranis, wasn't it? Who was the guy? Uh, that is not that is not what I wanted. I wanted the movie Splash. Why is a bigger Splash higher than the movie Splash, IMDb? What are you doing? Was it Eugene Levy? No, it was John Candy. Yeah, it was John Candy. Um, Yeah, John Candy in Splash, where he, like, kidnaps Daryl Hannah when she's a mermaid to, to, like, sell her to science or whatever, or show her off as, like, an exotic creature or something. I forget. I haven't seen Splash, so I don't remember the specifics, but... You know, you could have that character at least, who's on the, who's, who's, who's pinned down that this person who hijacks people's bodies lives in this area and is out to find them. But, no, like, literally nothing of note happens. I just realized in the splash poster, the Twin Towers are in the corner. Oh. That poster did not age well. Um. But. Yeah, like, like the, like oh their date didn't go well and oh by the way I should not be hijacking these people's bodies to do with, what to do with what I wish and like there's like a whole thing in the climax where he has to admit to her that this can't work because if they li- if they gr- do try to grow old together he will be hijacking adult people's bodies so he'll be hijacking like married people and parents and who knows like he could be hijacking a priest's body at one point. And he And he goes off to meet with this be, meet with this strange woman who has to raise a kid by herself, but like that's like a point towards the end. There's not like the uh, for the most part, it's just like, oh here's here's like quirky dates where they like blow bubbles on the football field and go to the aquarium and run away to a c- uncle's cabin in the woods for the weekend. It's, and like there's a whole, like there's another whole point where like, uh, it's shown in the trailer where you think like, oh, he, what's, what's going to happen? He has, he accidentally got into a kid's body who's going to fly to Honolulu that day. And if he goes to Honolulu, he'll wake up in Honolulu in somebody else's body, but he wants to be with this generic love interest. So he can't go to Honolulu, you guys. Yeah. I mean. I like it a lot less now, but at the same time, not only think about it and break it down, but at the same time, I don't care. That's the most I got from this movie is that I do not care. So every day, um, I did conf- like it was so generic. I confused it with the one where it's like I, the girl can only come out after sunset. What that I called everything, everything, but with a white with but with more white people. Because that's essentially the same thing, um, you know, for for all intents and purposes. And, yeah, like, that's how generic this movie is. I confused it for another young adult romance movie. Because it has nothing actually going for it. Whatever unique idea of the body-swapping premise it had is just It's just there's no reason for it to exist. Like even the idea of like her being polyamorous. Like maybe she wants to date multiple people. Maybe she wants to have uh, open relationships with people. Maybe this awakens something in her. Nope, she is still straight as an arrow. By the end of the movie, heteronormative. Don't worry, folks. We're gonna tease bisexuality and polyamory. But when all's said and done, she is heterosexual and monogamous. Yeah. Heteronormativity. Thanks, movie. I can't wait for uh, Rantasmo's. Every day needs more gay. I'd love to hear him tear this movie apart for for its weak ass, you know, you know, costuming of actual like polyamory and bisexuality, and you know, as titillation more than actual like character development. Um, because that's the whole thing too. There's like one actual scene of her kissing a girl and most of the people he ends up with and most of the people's bodies he ends up in are guys like there's only one scene where they're in a she's he's in a girl's body and they make out for like one second so like whatever kind of titillation you were trying to go for you might as well not even include it because you obviously didn't care you didn't want to get in trouble for it oh no what if mommy finds out I kissed a girl? I'm gonna get in trouble. <sighs> yeah, this movie can bite me. And uh, we'll be right back after this for talk of unfilmable novels. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Roni is a neologism created by the original author of the Roni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. Sort of like designation by the reading public and the literary elite, the literati, if you want to call them, the that says this book could not possibly be adapted into a film. Film does not have what it takes to tell this story like a novel does. I don't know. I don't know if that's the mentholi- me- meth- I don't know if that's the uh, methodology behind that mentality or whatever. But. Yeah, uh, the unfilmable novel. People say that all the time. And Annihilation was considered one of those books where it's like, how can you adapt this into a movie? And I, like a lot of other film critics and and media sort of luminaries, uh, you know, people much smarter than I am, have all openly stated, you know, that's kind of a dumb idea, the idea of the unfilmable novel. Like, some things are kind of heady and they're hard to translate from from book to screen but that's a really defeatist attitude that's like saying oh this play could not possibly be turned into a book or this could this novella could not possibly be turned into a short film how could you do you know how could you translate one thing from one medium to another literally anything is possible with the right creative creativity behind this Phil Lord and Chris Miller proved you can make really good comedic reboots, reboots, adaptations of really short kids' books, and a long-form toy commercial into really good cinema. Anything is possible. you plebes. So, yeah, you small-minded plebeians <laughs> I'm calling the literati plebes, the book readers. how you and your fancy books. How dare, you de- how dare you deny me what is and is not possible, you know, what is p- rightly possible, or I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But, before I get into, um, uh, the idea, you know, before I get into what I, what I want this discussion to be, which is, basically, elevator pitches. I'm going to take what, what these literary critics say are unfilmable books and propose my own elevator pitches for the scripts. So, before we get into that, I'm going to make a list of, of uh, previously made, quote-unquote, unfilmable books. First up, Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. Never saw the movie, but I've heard good things about it from, uh, from the more art-minded, uh, like, art cinema crowd. I know Kyle Colgren uh, really appreciates it, but I remember it was very problematic because it had people... Um, dressing up as different races in order to try and portray the same people throughout generations and I know like it had um, Hugo Weaving as an Asian as a Korean man so um, yeah that was that was weird Uh, but I but I hear good things about the movie otherwise you know what was also considered unfilmable the Lord of the Rings multi-million dollar franchise Set the st- set the table for high high fantasy to return to the cinema. Hasn't done anything since then, but hey, it it could be done. It it could easily be done. Um, Catch twenty two by Mike Nichols. Uh, haven't seen the movie, but it's I hear good things about both the book and even the movie. Uh, here's a good one. Did you know that Ulysses by James Joyce? James Joyce is considered one of the most uncinematic writers. Of novels, because like that's the thing. Writers of, fic- of fiction can uh, can write cinematically. Like you can tell by reading the book that oh, this would make a good movie. This writer knows how to write action and you know characters and how to make something cinematic in the book form. James Joyce was never one of those guys, and but apparently they did in fact adapt Ulysses. True story. In my research for this episode. I found an adaptation of James Joyce's Ulysses from 1967. Seems to be pretty well reviewed, although not. I, I, although if it's gone this well, this forgotten, I don't know about that. I don't know how well it holds up. But let it, not, let it be known that nothing is considered unfilmable if somebody tried to make a film out of Ulysses. I'll have to watch the movie to see... Because I'm definitely not reading the book. Like, that would have to be like a Patreon goal for a book podcast... To be to, read, to try and read through James Joyce's Ulysses. But, um... Yeah. Let it be known. They made a, they made a movie out of Ulysses. Anything is possible! Um... Next up. High Rise by J.G. Ballard. Which was recently made into... Um... Well, there's a second J.G. Ballard book that was that they said was unfilmable, um, Crash, which was adapted by David Cronenberg. So J.G. Ballard had two books that were said to be unfilmable, yet got adapted into two pretty well-received uh, sci-fi slash horror movies. So there you go. I still like to see High Rise. I heard good things about it. I know it's a it was a Tom Hiddleston project where he's like the man, where he's like the superintendent or of the, of the of the building or something. Uh oh, here's a fun one. You probably no, didn't know it was even a book, but American Psycho was considered unfilmable. So yeah, and but that's because and if you look and if you look into the book, it's because it is basically nothing but having sex and killing people. Murder, murder, murder and kill and you know murder murder sex sex and murder 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 sex sex and murder murder that's pretty pretty much the book American Psycho by Bret Easton Ellis and yet they managed to turn that into a pretty well received movie like i don't think it's i think it's more seen of like the um alongside fight club as sort of like the sociopath's favorite movie like if you love fight club and american psycho you're most likely a sociopath of some kind and you know you know I mean if you but not not if you like the movie you can enjoy the movie but if you like buy into that ideology those ideologies are strictly sociopathic uh, another one that wasn't turned into a great movie but it was always considered unfilmable was uh, Frank Herbert's Dune and like heck even the making of a, a, a possible Frank Herbert movie made a great movie. A Dune movie made, a great, made for a great movie. Jodorowsky's Dune was, con, you know, was considered one of the best documentaries about, uh, about, uh, about uh, film in the history of film making documentaries. And I still need to see that one. I hear great things about it. But yeah, like, once again, here's a sprawling sci-fi epic. But if you have, but even, uh, ah, oh, crap, what's his name? Uh, Lynch's, David Lynch's Dune Wasn't the worst thing There's some interesting stuff He had some great visuals in it You know He just had no idea How to translate the characters From the page to the screen And I feel like that's more On the writer so much Than Lynch I don't know if Who wrote I don't think Lynch Wrote the screenplay for that Did he? I think he was just the Director Let's pull up The Also him pulling in Kyle McLaughlin uh, His go-to boy As the lead character Didn't help Um Oh my God, he did write it. So yeah, David Lynch just w- could not be trusted to translate from book to screen. That's just that's just that. So that was the mistake. Have people more like maybe have Lynch direct, do a couple rewrites of the script, but like have somebody who's better adapting sci-fi write the script from write the adaptation. Uh, another one that seemed to be mistakenly thrown out as unfilmable: Life of Pi. By Jan Martel, for some reason, there were some in literary critics who called it unfilmable and yet it had made it for one of the critical darlings the year it came out. I feel like and even in the my research for it, the people who set who listed uh life of Pi as un, who as them as their list of unfilmable movies they made into films said the people who throw out that term use it way too loosely because, yeah, there was no problem translating, there seemed to be no problem translating Life of Pi from book to screen for the most part. I didn't hear any complaints about it, like, deviating too far from the book. Uh, here's one where they did have to have to um, deviate a lot. Vladimir Noble calls Lolita. And for good reason, because it deals with the relationship of a grown man and a 12-year-old. Uh, they've tried to do it twice. Kubrick did it, and then some guy did it in the '90s. I forget who. Um, let me pull up the '90s Lolita. So they've tried to do it twice, and both times it didn't quite work. That's um, Adrian Lyne, who is best known as the director of Flashdance and Jacob's Ladder and Fatal Attraction. Okay, so that, I guess he would make. I guess that would make sense for Lolita. Uh, he hasn't made a movie since 2002, though, with the mo- with Unfaithful, which was Richard Gere and uh, Diane Lane. Ooh, Eric Per Sullivan from uh, Malcolm in the Middle. New York Suburban couple's marriage goes dangerously awry when the wife's, it, wife indulges in an adulterous fling. Okay, so yeah, he seems to be... His last movie... His movies seem to have a, a thing for adultery and, like... you know, like, marital tensions. So, like, he would... It would make sense that he would try to adapt Lolita. The movie just didn't turn out... I guess the movie just wasn't any good. (laughs) But, um... Like, that's the whole thing with Lolita, is that it's a dark, really dark and twisted look at this... Like, at this really dickish... And that's the whole problem. That seems to be a big theme with uh, Unfilmable... Novels, people that consider, un, you know, novels that are uncinematic is where you've got a really un-irredeemable um, main character. You can forgive a lot of that, you know, readers are, you know, readers and the literary circles are much more forgiving of irredeemable characters. Whereas filmgoers are much more demanding of some kind of redeemable quality about about their protagonists. Um... But yeah, I mean, it, it was done I don't know if the Cooper version is any good. I've, I know we had to make the, make, the, make the actual girl older in that movie, um, to 16 to make it, you know, pass by the standards and practices. But still, I, I mean like it was you're able to adapt you know, if nothing else, you're able to adapt it in some way. If not, like a direct adaptation, then like a adaptation. Another one. That uh speaking of Kubrick, A Clockwork Orange was considered unfilmable by by uh, literary critics, and it is considered one of Kubrick's best sci-fi horror movies. And is you know all around just an amazing. It made Malcolm McDonald's career. Not not Malcolm McDonald. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDonald, I think, is either a singer or a comedian. Malcolm McDowell is the lead actor from A Clockwork Orange. Um. I'll just I'll just run through these real quick because uh, this is going to take a while because I got a whole list. Um, Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs adapted into a movie in like 1992 I think by Cronenberg I believe. A lot of these are Cronen a bunch of these are Cronenbergs. Um, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro uh, was made into a movie I believe 2012 with Kira Knightley and Carey Mulligan. Um, I heard good things about it. I heard mixed, mixed things about it. I don't know how good it was. Uh, it was basically about how these kids. It was some. It was some kind of like uh, these kids start learn the dark, dark meaning behind their existence and who they are and whatnot. Uh, it kind of th- that kind of got spoiled for me, and but I won't spoil it for you. Um, the life and times of Tristram Shandy, gentleman, by Lawrence Stern, which turned into Tristram, uh, Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, which I remember. Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story. Uh, which I remember from my days working at Hollywood Video. Uh, it stars Steve Coogan as the titulars Tristram Shandy, and they go for more of a mockumentary approach. To uh, oh my god, it's it oh my god, it's a full on adaptation. You remember uh, Spike Jones's adaptation where he's basically making fun of him trying to. Oh, it's basically, uh, Charlie Kaufman making a subversion of him trying to adapt the Orchid Thief, which is a, which is kind of a, uh, scientific thesis turned fictional story about a guy who who takes wild orchids to raise them in the, to raise them in captivity to help them, you know, because they're endangered, uh... I still need not see that one, but apparently Tristram Shandy is the same, Tristram Shandy is the same thing. It's a mockumentary about how these guy about how um uh uh Northam Northam Who's Northam? Where's the Where's the Michael Winterbottom? Oh, that's his actual name? I thought that was a joke name. Um, so is Northam, like, his, his, one of his movies? Oh my god, he directed, he also directed Jack Kerouac's uh, On the Road. Huh, interesting. Um, I guess, I don't know. I don't know why it said Northam, uh, in the, in the (laughs) IMDb synopsis, um, but director Michael Winterbottom attempts to shoot the adaptation of Lawrence Stern's essentially unfilmable novel. There it is. And uh, it stars Steve Coogan as a titular character. So it's more of like a mockumentary failing to make the movie movie. It sounds amazing and I want to see it. I Now I really want to see it. Because it feels like they went for the um, adaptation approach. And uh, that sounds right up my alley. Other... Um, Other ones, uh, Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie was adapted in, I believe, 2013. I know he tried to make one in the 90s, but, uh, the Sri Lanka denied him, uh, the rights to make the movie. Uh, it was made in, in, in India? Where'd they film this? Hindi, Urdu. They did film it in Sri Lanka. Okay, so they were able to film it in Sri Lanka. This was in 2012. A uh, pair of children born with mo- within moments of India gaining independence from Britain grew up in a country that is nothing like their parents' generation, and so that's kind of the methodology. Because Salman Rushdie was I, was an, is it a is a is a British citizen, I believe, but he was born like right about the time of uh, of uh, Indian independence. Let's see. Um, 1947. So I think it's right about like he was born right as India became a country. Um, where he was awarded the, the British knighthood. Okay, so was he was he born into British India or independent India? No, i no, the to look up Salman Rushdie I remember uh, he got a fatwa on him Because he wrote the satanic verses about the Quran that, that, Which only makes me want to check out that uh, Check out that book even more Joke's on you Joke's on you, Islam your, your outrage makes me want to read the book even more To see if it's any good um, British Indian novelist much of his fiction sit on the subcontinent so he was born under British India, so he was born at like but he was like born in forty seven right as um India gained its independence, I believe, so he was like one of the final um Oh, into a Muslim family of Kashmiri descent. So the, I never thought, of, I, I thought, I mean, I knew Rushdie was a, was um was, was a, was British. I didn't realize he was born to a Muslim family. That makes it, that makes him writing the satanic verses all that more interesting. I mean, now I'm extra curious. So it's not like an outsider's. Uh, Writing about the About the Quran It's an actual guy Who was raised in a Muslim family So he's more familiar with it Um, Come on Here let's go to We'll go to Mumbai Which is where he was born Then we go to India The country Come here Here I go, India India got its independence Going through a wiki Rabbit hole here to try to figure out Okay Uh, It gained its independence in August of 47 And became its own It became a republic in 1950 So Rushdie was born In June so by the time he was 2 months old India gained its independence. And I remember I remember in an interview he said that's a that took up a lot of his writing was his, was him writing about the transition from British India to independent India and and which makes sense because it's uh it it that that's what he grew up in. That's that his life. You right what you know. Um but apparently they ju- they turned that into a movie not too long ago. But yeah, they turned uh, his movie Midnight's Children into a movie in uh, 2012. And apparently he wrote the screenplay for it, too. And he he narrated it. Cool. Uh, But apparently, I think... Okay, that that makes sense. He probably was denied and denied uh, a lot... Denied for so long in Sri Lanka because of the fatwa. That makes sense. Because I know Sri Lanka, I believe... I believe Sri Lanka is a majority Muslim country. Um. Anyway, moving right along, I don't know things about geopolitics. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, next up, Watchmen by Alan Moore. The movie we got may not have been great, but you can't say it's unfilmable because, especially for there's another Alan Moore one, V for Vendetta. They said was unfilmable, and while it's not a one to one, it is an you know you can't say that they're unfilmable, especially when you're dealing with uh, with um graphic novels because you're ba- when you're given a graphic novel or a comic book you're basically handed a storyboard like you can shift around your own storyboards to redesign it for film but you already have a storyboard preset for you you have the visuals laid out you just need to find a way to translate it into film based on those preset storyboards you know, you just simplify them for an actual for a film storyboard, and then you translate that into actual film. Uh, moving on along, the Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. Faulkner's one that all that usually comes up in unfilmable uh, novels, and I think it's just because of his writing style. People think, oh, you can't translate this into film. But uh, they did try to adapt his his uh, novel, The Sound and the Fury, I believe in 1959. They tried. James Franco tried it again in 2014, huh? Did not go well. Uh, trials and tribulations of the constant family living in the deep south during the 20th century. Um. Where's where, When was the other one? Oh, he wrote the Big Sleep. I did not know that. Um. So let me see. 1959 was The Sound and the Fury, original. Starring Yul Brynner. Ooh. Drama focusing on a family of Southern aristocrats who are trying to deal with the dissolution of their clan and the loss of its reputation, faith, fortunes, and respect. I am wholly interested in that Yul Brynner version. Uh, I may have to check out that um, Franco version to see how bad it is. (laughs) Because apparently, it's like a 39 on Metacritic. But yeah. uh, To say that, like... Uh, I mean those may not be like one to one Once again we're not, we may not be able to deal with Direct adaptations But you can't say that that Stuff is unfilmable Because a good writer And a good filmmaker can adapt Just about damn near anything This is what I'm getting at So let's just run through the rest without digging too deep Cosmopolis by Dan DeLillo Adapted by uh, David Cronenberg Not a good movie but It was able to be translated in some way On the Road by Jack Kerouac I just mentioned That was made in 2016 Crap Mentioned that uh, The Call of Cthulhu By H.P. Lovecraft Was adapted into a film uh, Akira by Katsuhiro Otomo Was considered an unfilmable Manga series And while the movie Didn't capture a lot of the manga It was still You know You can't say The movie itself Was able to uh, Affect anime As a genre For years to come You know People still Harken back to Akira um, the movie, it you know it's almost done. You know it's almost as influential as the manga is. I'm guessing. Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh was turned into an amazing movie. Never saw this, but Fear and Loathing Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson turned into a movie by uh, from Terry Gilliam from uh, Monty Python. Forgot his name for a second. Satyricon by Petronius, an ancient Latin like epic poem, I believe. Uh, turned into a movie by Federico Fellini. Fellini's Satyricon. have uh, just joined his mythical tale set in the first century in Rome. Rome before Christ after Fellini. Oh, we did another one called Roma. Fellini's one of those guys I feel like I really need to get into. I feel like I'd be, his work would be right up my alley. Um, but yeah, like, you, you know, like, the idea that, oh, you're adapting this ancient epic poem. That no, you know that. How do you translate that into film? Seven, seven out of ten from IMDb from twelve thousand IMDb users. So it, it, you're able to make it work if you're a good enough filmmaker. Uh, Editor's game by Orson Scott Card. No idea if the movie's any good. They are still able to do it. This one completely disregarded its source material. So I guess I shouldn't count it. But World War Z by Max Brooks was turned into a film of sorts. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand was turned into three films, and they all sucked. And I blame that on the source material because it's garbage. Screw you, Ayn Rand is a terrible person and not a great philosopher. Uh, the Road by Cormac McCarthy was turned into a, one of the most highly regarded post-apocalyptic films of 2009 of the late aughts. There's still you know, people still refer, can refer back to The Road as in, in terms of like dark tragedy and post apocalyptic morbidity, um, like I mentioned the Orchid thief by Susan Orleans. Uh, and coming up coming up next, this was actually considered this is coming out later this year, still considered an unfilmable novel, Ready Player One by Ernest klein that one a lot of unfilmable novels are either like the subject matter is too mature or it's or it's un you know or the prose may be too hard to recognize. Ernest Cline's Ready Player One was considered unfilmable because of the licensed characters. The only reason that book could have took so long to get adapted is because of the licensing required for the characters within the movie. Because Ernest Cline wrote Twilight for Boys. I don't know if it's a one-to-one, but it's essentially the same thing. No, that's not even that. Because Twilight... Didn't didn't we didn't wasn't always citing you know like old Hammer horror or Universal monsters movies? Ernest Klein wrote essentially gatekeeping the movie. That's what Ready Player One is. It's gatekeeping the movie. It's like have you heard of this nerdy trivia point? It is literally an Easter egg hunt from a nerd. And it and it's literally gatekeeping about t- uh, it's set in VR chat. That is pretty much what Ready Player One is. We've seen Ready Player One. It's called VR chat, and it's the devil's work. Anyway, yeah. So that's the whole thing. Is that unfilmable novel is a misnomer because there you're able you if you have the good a good enough you know. um approach to it anything can be adapted into film and to prove my point welcome to the elevator pitch where I will be pitching these quote-unquote unfilmable novels to whatever to you the viewer listener there are no viewers this is an audio podcast but to you the listener you may recognize these books, you may not i 'll give you a brief premise of the book and pitch to you my my idea for the film adaptation first up two six 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 by Roberto Balano, a Mexican writer I believe um, this was his last work, and the premise for two six 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 or is it twenty six sixty six it 's two six 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 um as a title, but I don't know if it's pronounced 2666 or like in the year twenty six sixty six. If man is still alive, whatever man, it can still pick up sticks. Um, now, the premise for the book is uh, it's set uh, it's set in the fictional city of Santa Teresa, based on the actual Mexican city of of uh, Ciudad Ciudad Juarez. Uh, which is on the border. It is I believe in Chihuahua State. On the border between Mexico and Texas. And it is what is, it is pretty much uh, the murder capital of Mexico. for Or at least it was for the longest time. Um, and, or, or, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. But I remember Ciudad Juarez being in the news a lot. For cartel style murders. You know cartel related murders. Um but in the fictional city of Santa Teresa we um it centers on these separate people uh either dealing with the unsolved murder murders and rape and murders of uh, various women around the city as well as an elusive German author who is starting to gain a lot more renown um I think he I think he even won uh the Nobel Prize for Literature in the book uh I, I i didn't catch um his accolades in the book, but basically it centers on a couple of critics trying to find the author um a reporter uh, re- sent there to write about a boxing match and wanting to investigate the murders uh the i think the police investigating the murders and then the uh, author himself and there's a fifth one in there I forget who the that that was i but basically it's set with it's set in this town. And the backdrop are the 300 uh, Unsolved Murders. And then there's also um, an elusive sort of and reclusive uh, German author who's taken up residence there. And um, my pitch is uh, you have Taylor Sheridan write it. He wrote Sicario. Uh, He can direct it or maybe give it to an Alfonso Cuarón. Uh, maybe Diego Luna or Gail Garcia Bernal. Maybe a maybe a, maybe a lesser known Mexican director. Uh, but you could easily pitch this idea of a multi-narrative, uh, you know, search for a, an elusive author in the backdrop. Uh, like you could easily tell this story, if not as a two-hour movie, maybe two and a half hour. You could, I could see this as like a six-hour miniseries, and. You know, you send it all in you film it all on border towns, yeah. Maybe not maybe not specifically Ciudad. maybe um uh what's the one across from El Paso? Is it the one across from El Paso? Hold on. Where I Q I wanna get this right? Ciudad Juarez. Ciudad Juarez. Yeah, Mexican Mexican state of Chihuahua. Is this the one across the that is the one across the state from El Paso. That's right. Um, maybe not specifically that city, but you could easily find other border towns, maybe even um, other cities in Chihuahua or, um, or closer to Mexico City, and you could f- maybe even film in Texas, Texas, or Arizona. But um, yeah, like I-, I could easily see something in the vein of Sicario in, in terms of style, and then you make that about about what's going on in the, you, and you make that about the search for this reclusive German author, and maybe not tell it so much from his point of view unless it has to do with the murders. But then as this all ties into the three hundred unsolved murder cases, like I can easily see this working. Uh, next up, another Lovecraft at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, the basic premise is uh, John Carpenter's the thing. A group of Antarctic explorers find evidence of an alien civilization. And, and um, yeah. Uh, give this to Guillermo de Toro. Maybe Sam Raimi. Uh, and it's basically the thing that's made by David Cronenberg. Done. Make that, make that a thing. Let Guillermo make his dam at the Mountains of Madness. Let him do it. That's all I ask. What? I mean, come on. He just got you oscar gold with the shape of water can you finally let him make the mountains of madness uh next up another cormac mccarthy blood meridian the premise a 14 year old tennessee boy heads out west and finds it bloodier and more violent than what we were told specifically he joins a gang of native scalpers as in like a gang of white dudes collecting native scalps And in this day and age I can understand why you would make that Unfilmable because you're basically following Irredeemable white bastards Scalping Native Americans However We just had something Dealing with a lot of this stuff In the form of hostiles And Taylor Sheridan I mention him again because He recently wrote a story Dealing with Indigenous people in the form of Wind River And I say, give it to him. Let him write it as a deconstruction in the vein of something like Hostiles, or his own, or um, maybe make it bloodier, like how he wrote Sicario. And you make and you allow him to kind of deconstruct the Western in that sense of really depicting more accurately how we treated Native Americans. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not go full on. You'd have to change certain aspects of the novel in order to make it more cinematic, obviously. I haven't read it, but apparently the character is completely irredeemable. He doesn't even know why he joins this group to scalp natives. But uh, you could easily write it as a 14-year-old who gets in over his head sort of thing. Here's one that's been talked about uh, for adaptation. I think Aronofsky was slated to write it at some point. But uh, Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, the children of one of the creators of the atomic bomb search for his other invention, a device capable of freezing the entire planet. And all I have to say to you is... Dr. Strangelove. All you gotta do is make it in the same vein as Dr. Strangelove, which is what I hear the book is like anyway, and you're good. Done. Maybe get maybe not Aronofsky, maybe give it to somebody who's more familiar with, like, uh, satire or... Um, you know like darker comedies, like who's a who's a good dark comedic uh director? Uh who's good with like dark satire and whatnot? Um uh, Gilliam! Oh my god, yeah, Gilliam! Give it to Gilliam or give it to uh um maybe not Spike Jones. He's come he's come up a couple times on this. Wait, who did? Thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking was directed by Jason Reitman, huh? Wait, what has Reitman been doing up? What has Reitman been up to? I haven't heard. Of, I haven't. He did Up in the Air. Oh God, he did that really awful Labor Day movie where it's like a Nicholas Sparks movie. Oh God, uh, director. Uh, he's doing something called The Front Runner. He's doing something this year called Tully. Uh, Which is The film is about Marlo a mother of three Including a newborn who's gifted A a night nanny by her brother Hesitant to the extravagance at first Marlo comes uh, uh, Starring Mackenzie Davis and Charlize Theron With Mark Duplass And Rod Livingston uh, Written by Diablo Cody again Wait didn't they do uh, Didn't they do um, Young Adult as well Diablo Cody Jason Reitman Okay, so they're teaming him again with Charlize Theron. Okay, actually liked Young Adult. You know, I know it wasn't uh, wasn't all that great, but I loved like the dark. I loved how cynical and dark it was. So that Tully maybe something that Tully may work for me. Uh, men, Women, and Children, which was like some kind of like you know day in the life sort of thing. I guess. Um, I don't know. If... I guess uh, maybe give this to. Maybe give this to uh, Reitman. he might uh, he might be able to do it I don't know if Cody I don't know if he let uh Diablo Cody write it let's see who else we got what's another really good uh, who's another director known for black comedy um, the Cohens keep coming up but I don't think the Cohens would go oh 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 James Gunn. James Gunn has been making a lot of money with the with the with um, Guardians of the Galaxy lately. When he wants to take a break from that, do he could easily direct this. I, I think he could easily handle Kurt Vonnegut. Um, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Um, maybe not. He may not be as heady as Vonnegut. His movies may not be as heady as Vonnegut. But I could easily see him tackling this premise. Uh, who directed In the Loop? That's sort of... I could see that. Uh, Armando Yanucci. What's he been up... What, I saw... I swear I've seen his name recently. Directs Veep. Death of Stalin! That's what it was. He just did the death of Stalin. Which is something I... Which I talked about in the recent epith- episode. Um, I could see him. Maybe give it to Armando Iannucci. Uh So yeah, I mean like... That's the thing. Vonnegut... Should not be that hard to translate it. He gets heady, especially with, like, uh, Slaughterhouse-45. But something like this could easily be adapted into a Dr. Strangelove-style dark comedy. Um, Next up, House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. A family moves into a house that's bigger on the inside. Things, Things seem fine until their kids go missing. And apparently the narrative behind that is it's a story within a story where the main character is learning about a documentary made about the family that moves into the house. And I could easily see something like that. Like, he's investigating where this house was. Maybe he enters the house himself. I could see something like this being turned into a film. Uh, once again, uh, speaking of Aronofsky, you give it to him or you give it to modern-day Cronenberg? Like, I think Cro- like more dramatic Cronenberg, less body horror Cronenberg, could easily handle this. Um... Next up, Infinite Jest, uh, by David Foster Wallace. The basic premise centers on four separate groups of people, but the central point is kind of like how Cloud Atlas keeps re- recircling into the narrative of these over, of these generations. Here, it's the mul- here the multi-narrative centers on a fictional movie called Infinite Jest, and you've got a group of fringe Quebecois radicals who are planning a coup. Of the Canadian government, a group of residents at a Boston halfway house, a group of students at a, at a you know country club tennis academy, and then the filmmaker uh, of the movie and his family. So you could easily make a dark satire about the movies and how it, how all these groups are relating to it. Give it to Spike Jones. Give it to Spike Jones. Have maybe Charlie Kaufman write it, and you're good. I could easily see them tackling infinite jest. Uh, maybe, maybe in terms of the Quebecois radicals, uh, you do it in the style of Four Lions, which was a... Um... Oh, God, who made Four Lions? Was it Pakistan? Four Lions is one that I have been meaning to check out. Uh, it's a group of four Muslim men who try to start a jihad and become a, ter- a terrorist cell uh, in England. And stars Riz Ahmed, Kavan Novak, Nigel Lindsay, and Arsha Ali. Um, Riz Ahmed you might recognize from Mr. Robot. But uh, who directed? Chris Morris. Chris Morris uh, teamed up with his radio producer, Armando Yannucci. Ha! There's Yannucci. So he's maybe another guy. Um, what's his other stuff? Film. He's only done The Four, four Lions and... The Double, which is Jesse Eisenberg and we- Mia Wasikowska. British black comedy thriller directed by Richard Arawade. Oh, I didn't know he directed it. Based on The Double by Fyodor Dostoevsky? Huh. Interesting. i have to check that out. So I guess he only wrote that. Oh, no, he appeared in it. His only he's, He also did uh, Mr. Wrong's 8245 A2, through 8249 and 117. That's a that's a title. Uh, mentally Disturbed Man Taking Care of a Friend's Doberman Pinscher uh, While She's Away. Doc Talks to him convinces the nameless protagonist that he is on trial for everything he's done wrong in his life. I am up for this. Uh, maybe give it to Chris Morris. Uh, he's directed some Alan Partridge, Ve- some episodes of Veep, so he worked... IT Crowd, he appeared on. Okay, he appeared on IT Crowd. Um, but he works with Vianucci on Veep, so maybe... Is he like something else? Is he more known for uh Does he not want to work? Because his, uh, his his behind-the-scenes stuff is not very well... Like, it, it, he, he seems to be more known for appearing in stuff than directing and writing. Like, there's one... Vo- like, there's one... Sh- there's one short... There's that short film, Four Lions, and then he's got a movie coming up this year that's just untitled. So, we don't even know anything about that. And then he's been working on Veep with, uh, he worked on Veep for a couple of years with, uh, Yannucci, who he met through radio, B- British radio. So, does he, like, do stand up? Or, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, does he do sketch comedy? Does he do, which, like, what is he, um, why isn't he not working? Because he could, e- I could easily see him doing a lot of this black humor style, um, Satire. Like, this would be right up his alley if he worked with Yanucci, And, um, yeah, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's Infinite Jest. Uh, that's how I predict, that's how I see Infinite Jest being adapted. This one, I do, I completely disagree with Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Mouse could make an amazing Academy Award worthy animated movie. You know how I know that? Because I saw Persepolis. One word. Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. You do the exact same art style as Spiegelman. With the mice. With the cats. With all the anthropomorphic animals. You tell it as Spiegelman is talking to his dad. And his dad recalls his stories. And you do that as like a two hour animated movie. And you and you recreate the novel and give it. Maybe you do that. Uh, sort of like scritchy lines. Uh, what's it? it like um home movies and uh and um uh Doctor Katz did this. Uh, what's the style called? What's the animation style called? Squiggle Vision. Uh... Doctor Katz did it. Uh, home movies. Something called Science Court, which I haven't heard of. To serve and observe. Created by Tom Snyder. How do I don't know him? Oh, he's from Soup to Nuts. I have to check that out. Science Court. It was on a... I, I think I watched this. Hold on. Hold on a second. I'm going down the rabbit hole again. It was home movies. It was done in the same style as home movies. And it was a, 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 an informational uh, comedy in the same vein as, like, a Bill Nye the Science Guy. And it was done for ABC Saturday mornings in, uh, the, in the late 90s. I remember this. I remember this. It's done as, like, a, a court drama, but it's all about science disproving whatever the plaintiff's case are. Cases, you know, or, like, whatever the prosecution is. And the defense wins every time because of science. I love it. I loved it. So, like, maybe not specifically that. Oh, H. H John Benjamin was in that. Paula Poundstone. Uh, So, yeah, like, a couple of the Soup to Nuts regulars. Maybe not specifically Squiggle Vision, but something something to give motion to. uh, You do a traditional 2D animation... Um, but you're doing that Art Spiegelman style, give it some color or you could do it like a really like Schindler's List style, black and white, maybe black and white for the, for the, for the, uh, flashbacks and then color for the, uh, present day stuff. But I could easily see, um, you adapting, get like a, get like a well-known, uh, Jewish, uh, actor or comedian or, you know, somebody, a luminary who can do like the old Jewish voice to do um, his dad, and then you know have somebody a sound alike for Art Spiegelman play him, maybe him play, maybe have him play himself. But you could easily adapt uh, Mouse into animate into an animated movie, and I could like I said, if Persepolis could do it, I can see it. I can see Mouse doing something similar. I would love to see an animated movie based on Mouse. Um... It has to be traditionally animated, no CGI. Like not, not, not. Spec- I mean, it can be animated on computers. It doesn't have to be specifically pencil drawn on paper, but it has to be two D, not three dimensional. Uh, next up, Paradise Lost by John Milton. You all know it. It's the story of Satan falling from heaven and tempting mankind. And people say that this is unfilmable. I say the I say the nay. You could easily do this from the point of view of Satan. You'd have Satan as Lucifer in heaven. What leads him to rebellion? What leads him to rebel against God depict his fall from heaven and his determination that you make it a villain story but the villain is the protagonist. That's how you make it interesting. You could easily do a a fall from grace story of of the creation of of the devil as we know him, you could easily do that as a biblical epic, like a biblical epic fantasy, you know? It doesn't even have to be like in the same vein as like the old Cecil B. DeMille movies were biblical epics, like it doesn't even have to do that much with preaching to the choir. It just takes that mythology and tells an amazing story with it. You could easily do that. There's not unfilmable my ass you could easily make this from the point of view of satan and depict his fall from grace and and talk about his pathos in his fall what led him to rebel what drove him out of heaven why did he go after adam and eve talk about that make it the creation of satan and then you end with him tempting adam and eve and taking his throne and like sitting upon his throne as the king of hell Sort of thing You know Easily, easily could do that uh, The Book of the New Sun By Gene Wolfe I haven't heard of this before but it sounds right up my alley Futuristic fantasy Set millions of years in the future uh, An executioner called a torturer It's basically an executioner uh, But he his guild uh, Kicks him out When he falls in love with one of his victims And I believe refuses to kill her and so he is, he is, he's basically, you know, left to travel the world and find a new purpose now that he's been kicked, now that he has, now that he no longer has one. And uh, I could easily see this as like a long extended series. Once again. Lord of the Rings, epic style, high fantasy, maybe Game of Thrones style, long form series. Give it to like stars, Cinemax, something to give them, something to compete against Game of Thrones. Maybe don't call it Book of the New Sun. Because there are also the Book of the Long Sun and Short Sun. There's like nine books in this universe, plus several others, I'm probably guessing. You could easily do is like, call it like the Book of the Sun. And make it just that, period. Book of the Sun. The Book of the Sun and make it about this universe. Nope. Then then you don't have to rename it stuff from season to season. Just call it Book of the Sun. Be done with it. I could easily see that as a long form Game of Thrones style epic fantasy. Uh, Next one. Cosmic Comics by Italo Calvino. It's a series of 12 Italian short stories. Centered around scientific theories. What they call scientific facts. Some of which have since been disproven. And once again, these are short stories. You don't need to make one long... It's like saying, oh, uh, we're adapting Night Shift into a movie. Stephen King's Night Shift is a collection of short stories. That's like saying you're making uh, scary stories to tell in a dark movie. You don't make a movie about the scary stories book. Although somebody is. Shout out to that guy. Making that documentary. I can't wait to see when it finally comes out. Um... No, but you don't make the book into a movie. You make the stories within the book into a movie. That's what you do with this. You do a Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits style miniseries of sci-fi, you know, of science fiction sort of twisting, whatever. And uh, you just adapt the short stories into episodes of a miniseries. Done and done. (laughs) Unfilmable. Uh, Here's one. The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. For those who don't know it, a man wakes up as a human-sized insect and his life falls apart. That's, based, that's the basic premise of uh, The Metamorphosis. Now, unfilmable, you say, because I have news for you. We've seen this done. We've seen it done in the form of the Shaggy Dog, the Shaggy DA, its follow-up, Nine Lives, um, what's another one where man becomes other thing metaphor? Like Rob Schneider derp de derp until he, one day he turns into de derp. You know that whole thing. We've seen this done as slapstick comedy. Now you take that, you subvert it, and you take the dark twisted version of that where you on this, and then you and then you almost market it as and then you start out like you start trying to market it like the trailer starts off like oh oh no what's his name i forget the character's name he's bureau he's as a bug oh no and then you, it's it, and then you the trailer starts trying to make it a slapstick comedy and then like then like you interrupt the trailer and it's like wait 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 this doesn't seem right this is kafka's the Wait a minute, this isn't secret, this is Kafka This is, it's more like this And then it's like, then you cut into like a dark Twisted like, everybody's out To kill him, sort of thing, or maybe you don't Maybe you just full on, straight Market it as You know, a dark comedy Which is what it is You do, once a, you know who uh, I thought of immediately Is uh, Nacho Vigalando, who just did Colossal Colossal kind of tackles uh, some of the themes In The Metamorphosis like they're are su- more they're they're just themes. But I could easily see giving it to him. Or once again, Yannucci, uh, Chris Morris, give it give it to somebody who's more who's great with satire. And you once again you tell the story of this guy. Wait, you start straight up him as a bug, him trying to go through his life. He gets fired. He gets depressed. His family hates him. And you know you go through the go through the plot of the book, pretty much. And then you go... and then Maybe this is one of those ones... Where you include the narrative... And you get his inner thoughts... And so he... Because since he's a bug... He can't really speak... So you hear his, his inner thoughts... And then... For this... All you really need... Um... Is... Andy Circus style... Uh... Motion capture... You have him... In the... In the... In... On set... Maybe in a... In a slight suit... With the motion capture stuff on it... And him moving around... Uh... And then you add... On prosthetics and CGI in post. And so... You can have a realistic looking... Bu- you take like... All, you take like... scans of bugs... And like you do like a 3D image modeling of a beetle. And you have that... Use that as a puppet. And you make that him. And you put that in the movie. Maybe... Have, now I think you do kind of have to update it... To present day. Because I think it would work better that way. But you could easily do a dark dark satire like maybe hit, maybe even throw in subplots of like oh what if he'll find what, maybe he'll find love again maybe his wife will see through and then it's like yeah no and then like after a day or so it's like not nah, no can't stand you can't no nah, you're hideous screw this i'm i'm done can't i can't with this no <laughs> um I'll have to read through kafka but i could easily see metamorphosis turning into a dark satire like I'm surprised no one has at least tried it yet, and then especially nowadays you could easily make this like a ten million dollar, twenty million dollar movie, no problem. Maybe even like I don't know what the price for the motion capture is, but easily like five, five or six million dollars, maybe seven for the uh, for the uh, rest for the for the stuff that's not. Uh, the, for, for the bug like The most expensive thing is going to be the bug Obviously That's why maybe like 15 or 25 million dollars You don't need it to be Super expensive you, The one effect is the bug And you just do that really well Next one The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien Of course it's unfilmable That's like saying Oh we're going to adapt the bible into one movie That's not how that book works The Silmarillion is a history book in fact, parts of the Silmarillion were added to Peter Jackson's movies. You know how you do the Silmarillion? You do it by the same way you adapt from the Bible. You take individual stories from the Silmarillion and from the other Apocrypha, the other you know, extended universe uh, stuff that uh, Tolkien made, and you adapt those individual stories into films. Of course you're not going to... Tur- like, let's again... Oh, the Silmarillion's unfilmable. Well, yeah, that's like saying, oh, we're going to turn this history book, the whole thing, into a movie. No. That's, that's insane. Nobody can do that because it's, that's not how history works. You're adapting multiple stories that don't have any narrative together because they're, they're, they're a collection of stories. Once again, it's going back to, oh, we're going to adapt Night Shift into a series. No, you can't adapt multiple stories into one movie unless there's some connecting thread. The Silmarillion is a history book. You adapt it the way you do actual history. Take individual stories and tell those. Durr. Uh Next up, another Faulkner. Uh, William Faulkner's Absalom Absalom. Now see, this one came right to me. A poor man finds wealth and marries into a well-to-do family, but his need to control everything brings, brings about his own downfall. And it's told from the point of view of the characters around this guy's life. Well frickin' Durr make it like a multi-narrative sort of like vantage point crash style, like, oh, we're seeing points of view of this guy's life from the people around him. And we're learning about this guy through other people's eyes. A Durr. That can't cost more than like twenty that can't cost more than like $15 million, depending on who you're casting. That easily you could easily adapt that into the film. Like unfilmable? Why? Because you're telling the story from different vantage points. That's not unfilmable. That's that's a challenge. I like a challenge. In fact, some of these I should adapt myself if they're in the public domain. Next up, the player of games, which said, which seems to be the second in a series of books, but they didn't mention the whole series. It's called. Um, oh crap! What was it called? I had it there for a second um, uh, From the series From the culture series The culture being the term Used for the um, a Utopian post-scarcity Space society Humanoids, aliens and ver- It's the name of the universe And um, the player of games Is an entry in this universe series and I feel like you could easily adapt these into like a series of unrelated um uh of unrelated sort of uh not of stories but take place within the same kind of like how the n c u shares the universe you could easily have the culture as a universe but have all the movies be you know their own separate stories within this same universe I don't know if you call it uh the culture colon. Something, something, something to keep make sure people understand that this is part of this series. But uh, you could easily adapt this into a film. I think uh, not easily, but you could you could adapt this into a film. Uh, the premise for the book is uh, this is the second book in the series, and it deals with the quote unquote best of the gamer, best gamer. Like he know, understands chess, um, computer games, simulations. He's basically you know it's basically sort of a precursor to like. Uh, the Last Starfighter. Only instead of like, oh, here's this kid who's really good at video games. No, here's this guy who's dedicated his life to mastering every game of skill there is out there. And the last one is by a an empire who who uses this game to determine social rank and political status. And if you win the game, you essentially become the emperor. And I could... Eat and based... And... Uh, Based on that, like, hell, they can turn Ready Player One into a movie. They could easily turn this into a movie, if it sounds like. You don't have to deal with any of the licensing. You could, you could tell the story of, like, like, Ender's Game may not have been a great movie. We'll see how Ready Player One is as a movie. But this story is, has been told. Like I said, The Last Starfighter. You could easily do this story. We've done this story before. Why not try it again? Let's do this with a fantasy cyberpunk future world. Why the hell not what's the first one in the series about consider phlebus novel revolves around the Idiran Ed- culture war and banks plays on that theme on the th- by presenting various microcosms of that conflict oh the first one is a war movie okay or with galaxy spanning conflict a culture mind fleeing and blah, blah, blah. okay when are these published 1987 so they're not in the public domain I don't know where owns the rights to those. You could easily tackle this into like uh maybe a Game of Thrones style long form series, uh, where each book is a season of the of the show. I could see something like that. How many series are in this uh in this um ser- like how many books are in this series? What do we got? Um books in the series. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten season series. That's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. Once again, like Ready Player One, uh, Ender's Game, Last Starfighter. We've told this story before, and it's mostly worked for the most part. You know, it's kind of worked for the most part. Here, you just do it cyberpunk future. Yo, future sci-fi fantasy, sci fantasy. There you go. There's a term for you. Psy fantasy. It's what we call Star Wars. Um, Next up, The Female Man by Joanna Russ. Uh, The premise there is four women living in parallel worlds meet when their worlds start to cross over into each other. And through their interaction, they learn uh, how they're, you you know, they learn, they kind of gain a better understanding on feminism and feminine identity based on their experiences and then learning from one another. We could easily make this for ten million dollars, depending on how big you want to go. Because I know, like one universe, one universe is a Utopia, where the men have died out. One universe is a war, literal battle of the sexes, where the men and women are at war with one another. One is the '70s, and one is the Great Depression. So maybe twenty-five million, thirty million, if you want to go for like really well-done costuming and design and, pr- and production design, but. Have a couple of women write it. Have a, get a woman to direct it. There are plenty of amazing women directors out there. You could easily find, all you have to do is pick a pick a, uh, a female director with with some with some history in not only feminist theory but uh, but also producing sort of like sci fi and fantasy. Get someone like that. Maybe an ooh thought Ava Duvernay. Coming off a of wrinkle in time, so she's got his so now she's got fantasy under her belt. Let Ava Duvernay direct and let her pick the writers. Or maybe have a couple of women maybe have a couple of women do drafts. Maybe have maybe when it's like all of the like five names up there, they're all women. I'm behind this. I'm all behind this. I'm interested this, this sounds all these books sound interesting and I want to check them out, which is why I'm gonna do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to set time out this week and get some reading done. I'm going to, I want to try a book podcast. This stuff, I'm going to have to, I'm good thing I made a note of it because I want to check out these books at some point, but I'm going to, I want to start doing a book podcast and I wanted to do it, do it as like a conjunction of like support your local library. This is what I got at the library this week sort of thing. And um, yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and record it this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I want you to hold, want y'all to hold me to it. Um, uh, I think I'll, I I wanted to start with Mudbound. That's what I picked for my starter. I think I need to just do that. Um, anyway, yeah, all these sound amazing. Um, next up, Deathless by Catherine Valente. Uh, premise is sort of a, a, uh, a sort of revisionist sort of, a uh, new interpretation of russian folklore it basically takes a villainous folklore figure from russian mythology the uh, Koshe the Koche, the uh, death Koche the deathless deathless and it's basically a story of persephone but with a lot more um stalinist russian and, and like russian myth uh, mythology and folklore I don't I just see, like aside from the fact that Russia is basically being a complete and utter douchebag under Putin and they're just like complete rep, completely like for the most part they're being their government is being completely reprehensible aside from that like I don't see anything wrong with you know wanting to support Russian history and mytholo- and mythology and imagery and wanting to, you know because there' are interesting stories there? You know, there's a lot of interesting like, the, and think of all the amazing music that has come out of that, especially like pre 20th century Russia. And like, there's a there's a vast history there that most of us in America don't really know, and I feel like a lot of uh, I feel like I feel like that's a thing. Like we like we should take like intro like history courses. There should be like basic intro level history courses to like. Oh, if you're interested in this part of the world's history, here's this. I feel like that should be a curriculum in high schools. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Animal Farm-esque satire of Stalinist Russia. Make it like a romantic fantasy. And sort of like a take on the Persephone myth. Where, uh, Persephone is the woman who falls in love with Hades. Well, not falls in love with, but is, uh, forced to marry Hades. In order to explain the seasons. Uh, this sounds like something similar where a woman, uh is grows up a revolutionary uh during the uh, Bolshevik revolution and eventually meets the meets uh Koshé and there not only get becomes his bride but also brings about his undoing. I can see that I can see like a woman takes on the devil sort of storyline, but to read the book we'll see how we'll see how it turns out but uh I could see that working and then lastly we've got. Jack Glass by Adam Roberts. Um, Premise there is a murder mystery set in the far future. Detailing the means and reasoning behind a series of murders by the titular Jack Glass. And from what I hear it's considered like a mix of golden age sci-fi. Which is the 40s and 50s. With golden age uh, crime writing. So basically it's like a a retro futuristic um, noir film. Cool and like it's very satirical and some sub- and subversive. Sure, uh, give it to somebody who's uh, give it to give it to like um Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson's good with noir. He did it great with uh. he's he he's able to handle sci-fi no problem. And uh, yeah, Ryan Johnson directing directing Jack Glass I'm down with that. Sure, I will have to read the book to see uh, if that's up his alley. But yeah, I can I can totally see that working. Like retro futuristic a uh, noir film. You know, so it's like Blade Runner if it was made in the in the for, in the 50s idea of the future instead of the 80s idea of the future. Kind of. But it's but it's about uh we get to learn from we get to learn about why somebody became a murderer. And it sounds interesting. They didn't give too much away. that's that kind of like hinted around like what exactly the premise is. So I had to piece it together, but basically like the move the book opens up with than saying Jack Glass is a murderer and then go, delving into the circumstances that made him one. Uh, you can easily—I keep saying easily—you can't easily. Ad, nothing, adaptation is not easy, but it can be done, and a good writer can do it. And if some of these are—I the, think some of these are in the public domain. *Metamorphosis*, I think, might be. Let me double check. Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, published in 1915. I don't know if that's early enough to be considered public domain yet. Wait, they made a film? Well, then, well, what the fuck? What's this about? That just proves my point. There's like half a dozen adaptations. Most of them, there are a couple of short films, a couple of feature films. There's an animated short film. Uh, there's one in twenty. There's a feature film in twenty twelve. There's feature film in India in twenty seventeen. Well, it just proves my point. They can adapt Kafka. If, if they can do Kafka, then there's no excuse. Then, then there shouldn't be a. If James Joyce and Kafka can be adapted to film, there is n- then nothing is unfilmable. And I guess that's kind of my point. So, yeah. Uh, there we go. That, that That's my look at unfilmable movies. Um, uh, unfilmable movies. At uh, unfilmable books. And then, how that kind of idea is silly in retrospect. Because, hey, we've made, uh, uh, you know, Ulysses by James Joyce and uh, The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka into a movie. And apparently Kafka's been done multiple times. So, why not? Um, So'll uh, we'll take so now that uh, all that's out of the way, I, once again, and once again, if there's a book you think cannot be adapted, I think that'll make be a segment on the book, on that book podcast, pitching that book as a film if it hasn't already been made one. So uh, if you have suggestions for uh, books that you think are unfilmable and uh, and want to comment on that, say. If I missed one, leave it, you know, leave it in the comments below on social media or on Gumby Cat or send them into to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and I'll comment on, and I'll do some audience feedback. Uh, but right now let's do a quick trailer talk. Uh, next up we're getting the, we're heading into March. Oh my God. where it's almost, it's almost March you guys. Holy crap. Anyway, um, this, uh, uh March 2nd brings us, uh, a, Brings us another three movies. First up, Eli Roth's remake of Death Wish starring Bruce Willis. The US is home to a try million families. Yes, Dad, you told me like a billion times. One in four will become victims of a crime. What if your family was next? Doc, something's happened. You can't go in there. Dad, where's mom? I love my family. I failed to protect them. I'm sorry, Dr. Kersey, nothing yet. So there's nothing that I can do? Is that what you're saying? God. Uh, Michael Checklist looks like Bruce Willis' older brother. If a man really wants to protect what's his... I sounded like a fart dude for did anybody else hear that the men who did it are out there we're gonna hunt them down One yeah dude sorry i saw this already it's called the punisher the closed, you're jolly, right yeah we we'll kill my wife who else was there i don't know anything else you are not gonna kill me no jack is <laughs> Yeah see with Eli Roth directing this I'm assuming it's probably going to be more emphasis on the kills Than about the, the characters Because that's who he is He's a Gorky You're not a cop Somebody has to do it Everybody's watching this viral video Is this dude right for taking the law into his own hands a How far? It's too far. For off. justice. I'll say someone took my wife. Look, Everyone this isn't justice. Okay. This is vengeance. There's a difference. I feel like I feel like these kinds of you wish f- f- these, up, uh, up, these, uh get wish. it. Well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> okay. I will. You get it, get it, because he's killing people, whatever he's doing. Keep it up, get it. Although, it was written by Joe Carnahan, so it could be good. Um, Joe Carnahan was the guy who, I believe, wrote and directed The Grey, uh, which is one of my favorite movies of 2012, and so I'll have to wait and see, Uh, but mm -mm. everything about it comes off as... Like, even the original one, Made in the 70s, was very much conservative, wishful film, and good guy with a gun mentality, like... This is not the kind of stuff we want people thinking is is cool anymore, you know? And I don't think... And I th- feel like Eli Roth is going to make it so much like... Oh, this death scene was so awesome, you guys. Isn't this cool? And it's like, yeah, but... No, like, the whole point of, like, guys like that... Like, basically the Punisher wannabes... Is that they're the bad guys. They are not good guys. They are doing wrong things they're not seeking justice they are seeking vengeance there's a difference like they call it justice what they really want is vengeance that's all it is you know and that's the problem with that kind of mentality going into it and yeah it's it's once again like i said it's good guy with a gun mentality which can easily be picked apart and disproven you know time and again but I'm not going into the real life uh, politics with that. I'm just saying, even theoretically, that that, that thing is 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 all just macho wish fulfillment, ultimately. And uh, I feel like that's not the kind of stuff we need uh, anymore. You know, it's a kind of a relic, so to speak. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Next up, uh, one that was slated to come out last year and pushed ahead till now. The animated movie Gnome Alone makes two movies coming out this year this month, this next month, with the with GNOME in the title. This is it, Club. Our new house. From the producer of Shrek. God, to see someone's finally moving into Frankenstein's castle. <laughs> is that Josh Gad? I'm Liam Strong and silent. I like it. Every house has its secrets. Uh, what's with all the tiny Santas? They're garden gnomes. Then why aren't they in the garden? And Chloe's. God, my microwave is newer than hers. Mom? Her house looks. Her house is gnome exception. You get it. Than I thought What do you want? We gnomes are here to guard this house from creatures from another dimension. Wow. I'm the director of the Nut Jobs and protect the world from destruction. You can count on me. They're fighting purple langoliers. That's lock and load. I got this. Gnome hiding. Gnome turning back, that's not, Gnome does not, cannot, Gnome Fear! No! You can't just use Gnome in place of the word no, they don't sound the same. Like it works for when it's a rhyme for home, like you're using in the title. in the title. Ah. Becky, Josh Peck, oh no. Becky G. Okay. Who the hell is Becky G? And why is she being used as a selling point? Hold on a second. Rebecca Marie Gomez. American singer and actress. From Play It Again. Hold on. Filmography. Oh, she's the okay. That's that's why they're trying to use her as a selling point. She's from uh, she was Trini in the remake of uh, Power Rangers. Oh, no wonder they pushed it back. She didn't. God knows she didn't want to be known just after like Power Rangers wasn't exactly sh- being a great uh, wasn't a great uh, showcase for her. Uh, and so to follow it up with this really crappy. Directive video grade animated movie. Oh, poor girl. God, no, she deserves better than that. Like, I don't even know that much about her. I just know that she deserves better than this. And and um, supposedly the best of the of next weekend. Uh, what to wait and see? But uh, Red Sparrow, the not quite Black Widow movie. Even though we in Russia, we speak in English, so that audience can understand. They said he was an enemy of the state. Take off your Jennifer Lawrence is putting more, more Russian language accent language. than Scarlett Johansson. Maybe she should play Natasha Romanoff. There could be no witnesses, so they gave me a choice: die or become a sparrow. I don't know why they call us sparrows. sparrows. Like, we're space? So, help. they get the, I guess they don't want to call us cuckoos cuz they'd be too, too on the nose. But uh are we sparrows like like maybe prayers. red red ravens, finished, red uh learned, red hawks. Human being is Red eagles, like water with bevels. You must become the missing piece, and they will tell you anything. You have a gift. You know how to survive. <laughs> this is what you were meant to do. <laughs> this treasure And the government. His last known contact is an American. Get close to him. I don't get right hilarious. bathing suits crew, go, cross body like that. It want. seems very silly and, for overly ornate. In the game of deception, only this is very terrible Russian accent. Make this, man this, is, mean, this is this is Boris Nutetia level. He will become my messer. Oh, here's Jeremy Irons. I love we him as Scar. I even like him in really bad if Dungeons else, and Dragons uh, movies. Jennifer Lawrence, Joel Edger, Matthias Sheenhouse, Jeff, she Jeremy Irons. What have you done? You belong to them. They'll never let you go. I'll find a way. Yeah, red sparrow looks good. Uh, don't mind my terrible Russian accent. I, I am not very good. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean I'm not. I am not over top like moose and squirrel, but I try to be subtle. I try to be subtle with my accent. Now I am going into German, and now I'm going into Deutsche. I was better at German uh, accents than I was at than the Russian. I mean, they their kind of similar, but uh, I German came more naturally. It must be must because it's in blood, in my blood. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, next weekend, uh, not exact, kind of a downgrade. Uh, we'll have to wait and see about Death Wish, and then, of course, you know, there are two gnome movies for kids in the same month. When they both could easily be released direct-to-video. Why are these direct-to-video... I'm going to have to look into this. This is going to have to take weeks of... um, Weeks of investigative journalism on my end. Why are these movies going into theaters... When they should be released direct-to-video? What the hell? Anyway, uh, that about does it for this week. Which means it is time for the plugs... If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on on our homepage at gumbycatnetworks.com. And if you want to stay tuned, uh, stay up to date with all the episodes, all you have to do is favorite that page, go to gumbycatnetworks, G U M B I E C A T networks.com, and uh, follow Popcorn Junkie Podcast, which is uh, slash popcorn dash junkie. And click favorite and all of the episodes will be there for you. Uh you can also uh now that we're through Libson, uh we can we should be on most of your uh uh podcast feeds, Google Play, iTunes, I believe we are up to date, and we're also on Spotify now. So look for us on your podcast provider. You should be able to find us popcorn podcast at gmail.com. And as long as it's over a hundred, you've got the right feed. And, yeah, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and tell your friends that, hey, you like this show. They should check it out, too. The, uh, the, the other way to let people know you like the show is to follow us on social media at, at Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. And there you'll find updates on all of the new episodes as they come out, as well as major announcements. Uh, I, I think I'd have to switch from having just a Twitch channel to maybe starting on YouTube. I may have to, I may be doing that. Uh, I'll keep you up to date. Uh, just turn up events happened this week that made me realize that. Uh, but I'll keep you up to down on that. Up to date on that. Uh, but for the time being, if you want to keep up to date on all the major announcements from Popcorn Junkie, go to facebookcom Junkie and click click the like button and be sure make sure you're following us and share it with your friends. If you want to keep more in, in more direct contact with us, Follow me on uh, Twitter.com slash at well slash pop uh, slash corn junkie pod or just, you know, go on Twitter and look for at corn junkie pod. And there you can follow us and you can not only get the Facebook feed, but there I'll also do munchalongs, which are my commentaries on a movie that I'm watching, be it a bad movie in the theaters or a movie at home. And you can hear my thoughts on it as I'm watching it. As and then you can also join me for the trailer talks that I do before a new release, and uh, you can join in the conversation there. I am. Al- I'll also, you know, comment on my fellow uh, media critics. Uh, I follow the likes of Lindsay Ellis, Kyle Colgren, Dan Olson, a lot of the former uh, Channel Awesome guys that moved over to Shea Apocalypse uh, after 2012. I believe. I think it was 2013. They made the shift over but uh yeah a lot you know I follow a lot you know a lot of the likes of those people and I comment on mon movie related stuff uh I've been sharing a lot of stuff from Lexi Alexander the director um uh she's probably best known for Punisher Warzone but I you know I follow her on there as well and uh she's been my you know she, I've been retweeting a lot of her stuff lately uh so if you want to You know, talk to me about movies. You can do so at Twitter.com. Slash popcorn. at Slash corn junkie pod. (laughs) I had to do it that way. Because previous. I may switch my handle. To popcorn junkie podcast. uh, Or at popcorn junkie. Now that we have a longer. uh, we have a longer system. I'll keep you up to date on that. I'll make an announcement. Um, But. Yeah, and then you you can also follow me on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and there uh, it's mainly anou- it's mainly pictures of my ticket stubs when I'm seeing a new release and announcements for the new rele- new episode releases. I'm gonna have to find maybe maybe I'll do like a movie news of the day thing on Instagram, or I'm um, have to try and find a way to incorporate more of the Instagram feed. But uh, if you have any suggestions for that. Uh, send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and I'll keep those in mind because uh, I want to get more out of that feed than just ticket stubs and, and episode announcements. Uh, follow me on Stardust. I've started doing trailer reactions as well as new release uh, and uh, movie reactions. So if you want to my, hear my life, if you want to hear me talk about the trailers I see in a new release, uh, you can follow me on Stardust at Junkie. Uh, if you haven't heard, Stardust is basically Vine for movie re- movies and TV. So you're giving your reactions to a TV episode or a movie or a trailer, and you're commenting on it, and you're giving your thoughts. And uh, you can also follow the likes of uh, Doug Walker, the Nostalgia Critic, uh, the other Internet's John Bailey, the Epic Voice guy from Honest Trailers over at Screen Junkies. He's been he's very active on there. Uh, the Schmoes No guys, Jeremy Johns. Uh, the Double Toasted crew, uh, have joined Stardust as well. Uh, Corey is the most active for the most part, but, uh, I know Patrick Gertz does it. Uh, Corey, uh, Corey Goodwin has left a couple behind. I don't think Martin does it as much, but Martin's, Martin's the old dude there. He's the old guard. You know, he, he's, he's old man, no fro. So he's not going to be as, as focused on the social media stuff, especially for this newfangled wannabe vine crap. <laughs> um... But yeah, you can follow those guys. You can follow, uh, and you can follow whatever uh, personalities. There's a whole bunch of Stardust personalities on there. You can even follow Regal Cinemas on Stardust. So if you want to follow here, uh, Regal Cinemas own uh, social media interns comment on new release movies. You can go check them out. Uh, just download the Stardust app and follow me at uh, at uh, Popcorn Junkie. I'll even uh, if you follow me on the Facebook. Uh, feed i'll also put po- repost a link to the stardust app uh over the week uh so that way you can you know you j- you know help you know help me out by uh joining through my link so to speak but uh yeah you know have, have join us over on stardust it's a lot of fun and speaking of a lot of fun uh i didn't have it this weekend on twitch because my computer crashed I had I had my first ever blue screen of death. It's the new up oh, new and new and new and uh newly updated Windows 10 blue screen of death. So it's not as jarring as the classic uh blue screen of death. But yeah, my my Windows PC crashed and I could not stream this weekend. But uh if you want to join me, I'm usually streaming on Saturdays from noon to six p.m. Eastern time. Uh currently I'm playing uh, Star, Star Wars Battlefront 2 Classic from 2005, uh, right around the time of the Revenge of the Sith release. It was a tie-in to that. And I'm playing through the campaign mode of that, and I just finished Pokémon Red. And I've moved on to Pokémon the trading card game for the Game Boy Color. And uh, our our, um, our last Nuzlocke ended in tragedy, so I'm going to try something new for the next one, and, I'll, and if you want to find out, follow me on Twitch.tv/popcornjunkiepwh. That's short for popcorn junkie plays with himself. So if you want to watch me play with myself, join me on Twitch.tv every Saturday normally from noon to six, uh, or from one to seven, depending on if I can wake up in the morning. But you know, join me over there on on Saturdays at Twitch.tv/popcornjunkiepwh. And if there's anything else, I think that's all the extra social media stuff you can follow me on. So if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give your suggestions for unfilmable books, your, um, you know, how bad, how terrible was my Russian accent, uh, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and I'll either do listener feedback on the show or I'll, you know, reply to you privately if you would prefer. Uh, make sure let me know uh, and uh, make sure let me know uh otherwise i, I you know I'll, I'll always double check with you uh to see if you're okay with me you know sharing this on the podcast uh that about does it for this week until next time i'm john bailey and if an acting coach tells you to play another ethnicity in real life they're a terrible person and you should never do that The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.DeviantArt.com for more of his artwork. i guess that was an extended trailer it went on for a bit longer uh i'll have to cut that part out i'll have to make a little edit there later but um Uh, that about does it for this week until next time i'm john bailey and i had an outro planned out oh i remember what it was hold on